Chapter 2, is this fan motor going to bug you? Let me, huh? yeah, let me do it. It'll, it'll kill in a second. Ruth, chapter 2. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, chapter 2. We start in verse 1. And this is God's Word. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, Whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow after the girls. Follow on after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me, you have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over for after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He is not showing kindness to the living and the dead. She added, That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, he even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you may be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. 
Let's pray again. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. I've had a very uh, strange string of employment in my life, and uh, one of those times was a short stint, I guess about eight, nine months or so, at criminal court downtown. And uh, I had various jobs, you know, I got to, you know, bring files into the, in the you know, through the Perry Mason gates, you know, and I'd bring it up and I'd look at the judge and I'd, and I'd look at all the, you know, people waiting to see and everything. And it was kind of a cool thing. And uh, then I got put on the front desk. If you've ever had to go down there to pay a ticket, I'm sure none of you have, but uh, there's the city thing and then there's a the county thing. And I was in the county thing and it was really an exciting job because you had convicts coming in, you had lawyers coming in, you had, there are such things as bounty hunters, they're real. I mean, they kick the door in and they go get these guys, they get paid for it, and so you'd have bounty hunters and you'd have, you know, the criminals, you'd have the grannies of the criminals, and, but a couple hours, and I loved it, and I'll tell you that prior to my being in the ministry, I'd never been in such a fertile mission field in my whole life. Um, I would uh, save my break and I'd, I'd find some troubled person and I, I, I promise you uh, two or three times a week I'd find some person that was just oh my life's a wreck I don't know what to do I've got five warrants out for my arrest and three court cases going on at the same time in different courtrooms and I'd say I've got a break coming up let's go and I mean I shared with the gospel with lots of people and prayed with lots of people it was really a, it was a wonderful thing and uh, one hour a day you had to work the switchboard which was torture I mean, average hold time was 20 minutes. There were five lines, and we really didn't care, and we were working in DOS, and it was just, it was awful. But I liked the switchboard uh, because I'm, I'm telling you, people would cry on there, and I'd leave people on hold for 35, 40 minutes. And I'd say, listen, I, I, here's what you ought to do, but you know, you're ultimately, here's your problem, you know. And I mean, I shared the gospel on your tax dollars I, many, many, many times. And I just, I thought... You know, I'm not getting paid and I have no future, but this is really, I like it. I mean, I really, I liked it. Well, one day I'm working the switchboard and went, there was this manager named Ann the Man. And uh, I'm working the switchboard and, uh, you know, you'd say, uh, criminal court, can you hold? 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 And I would, I would have these fake conversations to everyone's delight. I'd say, no, sir. You know, and people would know that I was joking, but Ann the Man wasn't hip to my humor. And uh, so Ann the man was walking through one day, and she's getting closer and closer to the, the, the exit door. And I go, criminal court, can you hold, please? Criminal court, can you hold, please? Criminal court, can you hold, please? She's almost through the door. I go, hello, you're on the air. <laughs> and uh, she just spun around, just <laughs> mortified. And, of course, all the employees are looking at my boss going, ah! <laughs> well, a week later, uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't in my position anymore. And uh, I was moved to the archives. And uh, so I, I was filing archival files, and I was in charge of ordering the paper clips. Uh, yeah, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you can relate, Jeff. Uh, but anyway, all that to say, I'm back in the archives, and my life became miserable. I hated it. Hated it. And so I started to look for other employment. And I, I happened in the Terminex right as a position was being created and I walked in as a manager and ba-boom. Well then, uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about this next time I think, but um, uh, 
time goes on and I get put on this really weird project uh, three years after I'm there and, uh, and uh, my life becomes miserable again. I'm bored, I hate it, and uh, I'm teaching the Sunday school class and it's just amazing how God poised this call to the ministry right, right with my discomfort. And had I not, you know, played this practical joke on Anne the Man, I wouldn't be here right now. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the Westminster Confession of Faith says this. Now, I'm not going to quote the first sentence. Um, it says, God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence. Now, I remember a funeral I went to, uh, oh, probably six, six years ago or so, and uh, it, was a very, it was a very tragic thing. And I remember the preacher got up there and he said, I want you to know that God had nothing to do with it. And I, I sat there and I thought, well, you know, I, I thought that God upheld and directed and disposed and governed and, you know, I thought He managed all things. Are you telling me, Jim, that God, He uh, upholds, directs, disposes, governs and decrees all things? Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. All things. Well, what about the bad things? I'm telling you that he governs and he decrees and he upholds and he disposes all things. But he doesn't author the bad things. But he still controls the bad things. What about my own sin? Uh, I've done some uh, pretty bad things in my life. Um, I, what about just the hard times I've experienced in my life? The, the pain that I've known. I'm telling you that, that those things are a reality, but God still upholdeth and, and governeth and decreeth all things. He's got all the things that He has made. There is no facet of anything that God has made over which He does not have consummate control. And that's a biblical truth, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I'm not sure I like that. Well, I, I, I understand that. But do not forget that God is not like a man. God dwells in utter purity. God is holy, holy, Holy. So even in the face of an evil world and people doing things to you, meaning it for evil, God still reigns in purity and his, all of his judgments are good. They're all pure. They're utterly holy. They're all for the good of his children. And do not forget that he loves you with a love that is everlasting, a love that is wide and long and high and deep. This is the God who, who upholds and governs and decrees and, and orchestrates all things. You know, I, I think that um, we look at a rather ominous rain cloud uh, coming in and, uh, and we hear the, the thunder pealing in the night, you know, and, and we're just, we're in awe of that. And uh, we hear the thunder rolling and we see the lightning crackling and we feel the, our very house just, you know, and we just go, wow. What a grand God. And it's even more profound if you think that's just a fleck of his, of his consummate might and power. I mean, if you can rumble the sky like that, then that's just a, a little hint of his power. You know, how, how is he? You know, what manner of God is this? But ladies and gentlemen, I think that I know in my own experience, I'm more inclined to step back and notice that, you know, grand display of power and, and forget the raindrop. You know, when you feel, you know, when you're out in the rain and, and uh, 
and you, you, you go, hmm, I think it's going to rain. You feel something, and you get your, you get your confirmation. Boom. Yeah, there it was. And uh, you know that, that drop that comes down, and we marvel at the trembling sky. But do we think in terms of, of God having formed that little drop and, and, and let it go and guided it through the atmosphere down to your now wet wrist? Do we think in those terms? I think that that is the message of this book. You know, we, we're, we're impressed with the big thunderstorms, but God guides even the raindrops. He guides even the dust particles that float through the air. You know, there's that term, uh, if it looks like a duck, sounds like, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. You ever heard of that? What if it's a decoy? Ducks fall for that, and they're ducks. <laughs> what about these guys that sit in the woods? <laughs> you know, the ducks are going, hey, that's another duck. It's not another duck. <laughs> what if, ladies and gentlemen, we go through life, and we just happen into something. And, uh, you know, let me tell you a term I hate. I hate the word lucky. And I hate when Christians say, I was pretty lucky, wasn't it? In fact, you know, I, hate, I even hate the, the term pot luck. And I changed it. I changed it to pot providence. So if we ever have one, it's going to be a pot providence because there's no such thing as luck. Why do we walk around and go, well, that was lucky? No, there's no such thing. God orders things. He orchestrates things. You know, I'll tell you, um, if, you if any of you are, uh, anybody playing band growing up, Oh, good. That's a lot of people. Well, you know, if you played in band growing up, you have, you, you have a very uh, special little gift. You know why? Because when you hear, some, when you hear music, you just don't hear this wall of sound. You hear this wall of sound, but you also hear... You, know, you hear the individual part. And I remember when I was a kid, I would sit in my parents' recliner and I'd play the same record over and over and over and I'd just listen to the bass part and then I'd just listen to the drum part and I'd just listen to the flute part and I'd, I would hear the pieces and the whole thing all at the same time. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know where the term comes from. That guy really knows the score. But I wonder if it doesn't come from a score. You know where the director's going, oh, and he said, you know, the, the, he has this part written out, this part written out. He's looking at all the things all at the same time. He knows the score. Well, that's the way God operates. You know, we see just this, but God sees the score. He sees all the pieces. And that's the thing for us to remember. And, and it's something that the writer of the story takes very special care to convey. Uh, let me show you something, uh, another good example in the Bible. Keep your finger there, but turn to 1 Kings uh, 21. This is a great uh, PG-13 story. Uh, might be R, but um, uh, it's in it's in First Kings um, 22. But while you're finding that, let me just tell you, Ahab, you know uh, he's hooked up with Jezebel. Uh, Ahab, he he looks at this poor guy named uh, Naboth, and he says, uh, I want this guy's uh, I want this guy's field because I want to grow some pumpkins or cucumbers or something. He wants to plant a vegetable garden. It's right near the palace. Very convenient. And Naboth says, no, I can't do that. It's my inheritance, you know, for my family. I can't sell it to you at any price. And so, and so Ahab is sulking in his bedroom, just, <clears throat> he doesn't get his way. And Jezebel walks in and goes, she goes, honey, let me fix this, okay? And so she sets up this poor guy, has him falsely accused, and they take him out and they stone him to death. 
and she gets to skip on in and say, Honey, guess what I did for you? Got that field. All right, well, so uh, uh, Elijah comes to him, and he says, uh, Hey, guess what? This is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. And I'm sure Ahab's thinking, Okay, you're a kook. And, uh, but now listen to this. Look at verse uh, 28 of chapter 22 of 1 Kings. Micaiah declared, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, mark my words, all you people. So, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Aram had ordered his 32 chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone, small or great, except the king of Israel. All right, that's why he's disguised, the other guy's not. When the chariot commander saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, surely this is the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him. But when Jehoshaphat cried out, oh, I'm not. The chariot commander saw that he was not the king of Israel and stopped pursuing him. Okay? But someone drew his bow at random. All right, now think about that. You know, oh, there he is, there he is. No, it's not, where is he? You know, he must be in disguise somewhere. And some guy's going... You know, he just... <laughs> ping! And what happens? The arrow goes... Verse uh, 34. <laughs> Someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. This didn't just ching his shirt. Right in the middle of the sections of his armor. The king told his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long the battle raged and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. Now listen to this. The blood flow from his wound ran onto the floor of the chariot and that evening he died. As the sun was setting, a cry throughout the ar- went throughout the army. Every man to his town, every man to his land. So the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried him. All right, the dude's dead. He's in the ground. What do they have to do? Well, they got to wash off the car. So they washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria where the prostitutes bathed, yuck, and the dogs licked up his blood as the word of the Lord had declared. Isn't it funny what a random arrow can do? (laughs) Is that not a good story? Well, it's the same thing in the book of Ruth. And I'll tell you, you know, go back to Ruth if you would, but, you know, guys... You know, there are casinos all over the place, and, and my, my beef with casinos, I heard somebody one time say, uh, well, you know, if somebody wins, that means somebody loses, and that's robbery. Well, that's crazy. You know, my beef with casinos is that at, at the moment you go, you say, oh, yeah, sovereignty, schmovereignty. You know? I know you, you govern raindrops and random arrows, but, but maybe... I'll even tithe. You know, for a moment, you suspend, you suspend the, the belief in the God of the Bible. That's why I think it's stupid and perhaps even sinful. All right. Now, in, in our story here, look at verse 1. Um, if you've got an NIV, it says, Now Naomi had a relative. If you've got a King James Version, and I think a couple others, it says, 
And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's. And it, what that does is it hooks you back to what has just been written, which, of course, is that uh, Naomi, you know, there's a famine in the land, and what a famine there was. Uh, and uh, she and her husband go to escape, and, of course, her husband dies, her two sons die, and she's left alone, and all she has is Ruth, and, and uh, who accompanies her back to her hometown. And she says, don't call me Naomi, because that means pleasant. Call me Mara, because that means bitter, and God has made my life bitter. But we see this great... This great little nugget of hope in the, at the end of verse 22. Naomi returns from Moab accompanied by Ruth, the, Mo the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem just as the barley harvest was beginning. Now Naomi had a relative of, on her husband's side. And you see, how, you see how that thread of God's control runs through even as we approach this passage today. You see that the writer kind of hooks it up with the kind of, and it came to pass. Now look at this, verse 2. Uh, and Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Now that's notable, ladies and gentlemen, because there's this great balance that is portrayed here. They're, 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 they're trusting in the one true God. She has uh, agreed to, to be uh, taken under the wing of the refuge of this God, along with her mother-in-law. And they step into this strange town, and yet she's stepping right out, and she's hitting the pavement. She's not, uh, she's not chilling out. Uh, she's not uh, taking a bus tour to get a feel for the city. She's, she's stepping right into it. But what is her big concern? It's, it's, it's stated over and over again. Verse 2. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields, pick up leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. That's her big concern. Look at verse 10 again. At this, she, she bows down. She exclaims, why have I found such favor in your eyes? Still her concern. Verse 13, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? Why is that such a big concern to her? You know, she's not just looking for food or a meal uh, or, or just a little bit of help. It's that she finds favor in the eyes of this person. You know why that's such a big deal? Because she's a Moabitess. She's not from that place. No Israelite man is going to want to marry her. She's alone. It's dangerous. And she's, she's out of place, a foreigner. In fact... Um, you know, back in verse 22, I mean, we understand she's from Moab, right? We know she's from Moab. But you know what the scripture writer keeps doing? Verse 22, Ruth the Moabitess. Um, verse 2, and Ruth the Moabitess. And, uh, it, it, and it throws them in there, peppers the, the text with them. Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth the Moabitess. Okay, we get the idea. She's from Moab. Why is that this critical point? Because... A scripture writer wants us to know it's impossible. Ruth the Moabitess, don't forget that she's a Moabitess and it's an impossible scenario. Um, <laughs> verse 4. She, uh, she uh, goes out, begins to glean in a field behind some harvesters and, uh, and in the middle of verse 3 it says, as it turned out, you know, it's almost like the scripture writer is laughing. And uh, Moabitess, let's put that in again. And as it turned out, guess where she is? Not only that, verse 4, just then, Boaz arrived. I mean, you can just see the, 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 the you know, jovial hand of the, of the scripture writer. 
portraying this story. Just then, Boaz showed up. You know, guys, um, uh, there, there's a good... Uh, oh, don't turn, but um, I love this, this story. Um, it's at the... Uh, where is it? At the end of 1 Samuel. But just listen. David's uh, fleeing Saul, and Saul's chasing him, and uh, it's not looking too good. And uh, there's a mountain. And uh, David's on one side with his men, and Saul's on the other side with his men, and David's just fleeing, you know, fleeing, and Saul's army's gaining, 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 gaining. And they're coming up, they're coming up, they're pursuing, they're ready to overtake, and just then, a messenger comes up, and let me read the King James just because it's funny. He says, um, he says, uh, uh, haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. And Saul goes, oh, you know, and they, they turn the corner and they have to go back and protect their land. And it's so easy to read that passage and go, oh, well, you know, Saul had other business to tend to. And, but you realize he was just about to overtake David. Now, if you rewind the film, this messenger is given, he's like, a, hello, you've got to give a message to Saul. Oh, well, let me pack a few things and uh, kiss the wife and I'll be home soon. And he gets on the horse and he goes the wrong way. By, he was supposed to turn left by the big rock, but he didn't. And, you know, he's got to stop for water and his horse is about to pass out. And, but it's amazing that he gets to the scene right as Saul's about to overtake and kill. You know, as it happened, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible... Read it with that kind of mindset. You will see time after time after time of God's intervention. If you don't think the Old Testament is a book of grace, you haven't read it. Or at least you haven't read it like that. You know, um, uh, I've driven to Chicago a number of times. My parents still live up there, and I'm from there. And it's a long, long, boring drive. And uh, if you like corn, uh, you'll love that drive, you know. And you pass cornfields, and they're just... It's big. You know, occasionally a crop duster kind of livens up the trip, but basically it's just flat corn. You know, fields are big. And uh, Ruth is just, hey, fellers, can I glean behind you? And she's picking up, and just then Boaz shows up, and he happens to be right there. And, the, you know, I mean, it, it might be a half a day's ride across his property. And just then Boaz shows up. Um, what happens? He claims the name of the Lord. He says to his men in uh, verse uh, 4, The Lord be with you. And they call back, The Lord bless you. Um, he says in the verse 12 to uh, uh, Ruth a little later, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see that the point keeps coming up and up on the mouths of the players. They understand that the raindrops are guided by the one true God. It's a good lesson for you and me, y'all. Uh, I used to have a uh, mentor boss guy uh, who used to say all the time, not a, not a Christian, but a, a mentor nonetheless, and he used to say all the time, luck is opportunity and preparation. And uh, I rewarded that. I want to read my rewarding because I don't want to mess it up. I think it would be better to say that God affords us opportunities as He sees fit. And He expects our preparedness to meet them with a heart yielded to His will. Isn't that the way we ought to approach decision-making and hard things? 
I promise you there's not just one answer out there somewhere. I just got to find that one answer. You know, use, our, use your regenerated brain. Take a step forward and say, Lord, I only want your will. I want to be alert and prepared. I want to watch and pray, but I want to understand that you are the God of the thunderstorms and the raindrops, and I yield to you. Well, as it turned out, she makes some extraordinary requests. You know, she asks to glean behind the guys, and uh, Boaz arranges it for her to pick up and all that. And we have this wonderful portrait of God's sovereignty and, God, and man's responsibility in light of that sovereignty. Well, <clears throat> the passage winds around to whom? Let me turn this on to warm this up. The passage winds around to whom? Again, Naomi. Once again, our, our eyes and our thoughts are, are brought back to Naomi. Ruth has had this episode, and she comes on back, uh, and she returns with a lot of food. And uh, if you look at, uh, where are we? Uh, verse uh, 20. Uh, verse 19. Uh, she carries the food back, and uh, in verse 19, her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? You know, she's not, she doesn't know all this information. She come, Ruth comes in with a, uh, you know, about three-fifths of a bushel of, uh, you know, probably weighed 28 pounds of grain. Hey, Naomi, <clears throat> you know, how'd it go today in the field? <clears throat> wow, not only that, doggy bag. <laughs> <laughs> And so, I mean, you know, Naomi says, what? where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz. You know, it's this big, huge field. I doubt she was walking around the cornfield going, Boaz! Boaz! But Boaz walks up, and, and God has orchestrated this wonderful thing. Uh, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. We are living. My husband is dead. That man is our close relative. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. We'll talk about that more next week. Well, I'm sure that um, Naomi ate heartily and uh, maybe even loosened her belt and the endorphins are flowing. I wonder if she remembered that just a day earlier she had stated that the Lord had made her life bitter. Hold that thought. It's only five minutes.
Bad theology coming up. Don't listen. Theology. If you believe that, come see me afterwards. <laughs> but here's the point. <laughs> Deliverance right there. And here they are in the boat. What could make things worse? Oh! I mean, they had to have been thinking, oh, and now rain. Well, what happens when it rains? Water comes up, the boat rises up, and guess where they wake up? Delivered.
<laughs> was that worth that five minutes? <laughs> Utterly hopeless. All I could see was this. I know we're finished. I know we are. We pray for mercy. And then they're delivered. And, and, and little did they know that it was right there. And they could have gotten out and walked to it. I close with our text. And I'll let you ponder it. Verse 23. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. Here's what I leave you with. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Father, how we entwine ourselves with our experiences and how we dwell on our circumstances and how we allow them to become inflated in our hearts and minds. We know that troubles are real, just like uh, our blessings are real, and yet we pray we would never forget that you are above these things, that above the clouds it is sunny and our God reigns. Something to always remember. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.